Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gura. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. I want to get to it right away. It's a pleasure to have Bob Dahl here. He is the Chief Equity Strategist at Naveen Asset Management. And Bob, it's great to have you with, you, with us. Good morning. Happy Friday. Thank you. To you as well. Uh, a few weeks back, you wrote in a note, earnings must advance for equity markets to make meaningful gains. Here we are, the season nearly coming to a close. Give us uh, your sense of, of how earnings have, have come through. Earnings have been fine uh, relative to expectations, uh, but that was necessary to keep stocks kind of flat because we know that the P.E. is under pressure because interest rates have been moving up. So you get this seesaw and the market's kind of gone nowhere. Uh, the good news from my point of view is revenue growth starting to pick up a bit. First positive revenue compares since 2014, another necessary ingredient for the stock market to move higher. I look back at the, the beginning of, of earnings season, of the third quarter earnings season, we were looking at banks. They outperformed uh, in large part because of what we saw in, in FIC trading. And a lot of people have said that's a maybe a one-off. That's not something that we can expect to continue for, for a long time. Looking at other sectors, do you see signs of continuity that we could see a good earnings season here going forward? Tech earnings have been reasonably good. But on the other hand, industrial earnings have been eh, not so good. So you get these trade-offs and these back and forth. I don't think we have a consistent tailwind to say we've solved the problem, but we have more sectors reporting better earnings than reporting worse earnings, and we have not seen that for a while. We had an earnings recession uh -huh. because of the rising dollar and falling oil, and we can't forget how devastating that was that created, uh, I guess, it's five or six quarters in a row of negative compares. Looking at the Bloomberg Dollar Spot Index now at 98,832, uh, do you expect that strong dollar to continue, and, and what's the effect going to be there going into the fourth quarter? For now, yes. Um, you know, Finally, it looks like everybody believes the Fed's going to raise rates in uh, December, and so there's some anticipation uh, there. The Fed's biggest challenge is to continue to normalize rates without the dollar screaming higher. Uh, and so I think that's a, a, a tough balancing act they will have into 2017. Bob Dahl, if you buy a stock, you buy a sector, you buy the market, is it a bad habit to buy the anticipation of where a company will be one year, two years, three years from now, where you say, I really don't care what it is right now, maybe in two or three years, here's where I visualize it. So I'll buy the stock today. Is that a dangerous thing to do? You're asking me to be an investor. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I thought, I, see, I know the lines, David. I knew where go. he was going. Not good. a trader, not a speculator. <laughs> You just say, look, this is what I think, and you get on board. Hey, look, we can get on the soapbox here, but the short-termism, as you know, has just permeated oh, Mr. Dove fired up on <laughs> <laughs> This early in the morning. And, you know, uh, we investors have forced that on corporations, and they've obliged. And so you got this uh, short-termism that keeps carrying the day. Look, I still think... 
uh, if you buy good companies at reasonable prices that have improving uh, fundamentals and, via earnings and cash flow, you're going to win. And, and David, the heart of the matter here for someone of the vintage of me and Mr. Gull <laughs> is, is long ago and far away, you bought the company's business plan, which by definition was three to five years out. And the headline here, David, for young upstarts like you, is you did this for every company. I see. You had, you, it wasn't like a one-off. Every company, you had to rationalize where will they be. Well, I was thinking of this in the context of Amazon yesterday, as you saw investors spooked by the fact that Jeff Bezos has been spending a lot of money here. It reminded me Go of to a cash. company in the, in the early days when investors had to be patient as he kept spending and spending and spending. Suddenly, the company was making money again. They were happy, and now, again, the prospects seem to be that he's going to be spending more money again. Are they going to trust him to do, to do what he's doing here again going forward? The story in Amazon, as we know, has been free cash flow. That's still the name of the game. The problem is when you don't have earnings and you don't have revenues uh, and you have high valuations relative to those things, free cash flow is everything. And the disappointment was free cash flow didn't grow like it was because mm. he's spending some more money. And investors are going to have to get used to that. And so there's a little hiccup here. How much of an outlier is he, Jeff Bezos, when you know you, you have to put your faith in one person guiding this company? There is a tension there between, uh, you know, what investors want and, you know, they have to put kind of blind faith here in the vision of the guy who founded the company. Yeah. They, I mean, the good news, a company this size and uh, all the efficiency around it, you can get lots of information. Is he the visionary? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if he weren't on the scene, uh, you know, we wouldn't be where we are. Uh, lots of companies uh, out of the out of the gates. That's what happens, and you have to figure out how you transition, how you broaden, and how you deepen. But but he's the man. What's the sentiment takeaway from earnings season? How investors feeling right now? Uh, well, investors are so skittish. Yeah. They're, they're nervous about everything. You know, economy's not growing great, and we have this crazy election, and stocks have been up for how many mm. years, and the economy's going nowhere. You want me to buy <clears> stocks? <throat> are you crazy? Yeah. That's the normal uh, thinking out there. One of your advantages is you get to see flow dynamics within Nuveen. Mm. Nuveen, of course, the tradition is unit trusts and municipal bonds, but they do a lot of other things as well. How do you invest in equities given what you observe at Nuveen and what people are doing in bonds? So there's no question, uh, Nuveen and other places, uh, muni bonds are, are, are still um, uh, selling like crazy. Uh, people understand the advantages of munis over taxables and the appropriate tax brackets. And, uh, you know, we've had a 30-plus year rally in, uh, in bonds. And so, you know, jumping on that bandwagon is still a popular thing to do. And it will happen until it doesn't In the work. great distortion that we're living in is the linkage of yield higher, equities lower, because bonds are competition for equities. When was the last time you and I heard that analysis? Mm. I mean, it's gone. It, it is, and I think part of the reason is you, you've got the S&P 500 selling at a yield above a 10-year treasury, and there have been times in the last 12 months yeah. higher than the 30-year treasury. That's a gift if you believe equity earnings are going to grow at all in the next 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, David, I would go back for a price-earnings ratio just quickly on the screen of SPX of 20, and yeah. that's a trailing, you know, the trailing multiple. Do you expect Unreal. how long do you expect the, the bull market to go on? What's your forecast for that? Yeah, you know, so, so, so three weeks. Three weeks. <laughs> Get, so to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Exactly. Get to Thanksgiving. Get to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Look, the excesses that typically cause a recession, usually inflation, causing the Fed to stomp on the mm -hmm. brakes that cause the equity market to come to his knees, not visible. Yeah. Uh, so you know, somebody said 
Strong growth leads to slow uh, to, to short cycles, and slow growth leads to long cycles. This cycle has been so slow, maybe it could go on forever, as somebody said. Uh, look, we're, we're we're not in the early stage of this bull market. We know that, uh, but that doesn't mean it can't continue to to grind and creep higher. I mean, I look, Bob Dell. I mean, we're going to go. I'm not going to tell you this stock, folks, but it's a a big successful transportation company. They're in a horrific bear market, negative 12 percent from their peak of two years ago. And, I mean, you know, as Bob Dole knows, you can't make money in stocks. I mean, everyone knows that. <laughs> in the last 10 years, this dog, let me see if I can get it up here quickly. It's, it's just been a complete failure. It's only done 12.6% per year. 12.6% per year is a little better than clipping coupons. Oh, yeah, but it's so volatile, Tom. Can you really put up? That's yeah. the problem. People people get get they get scared because of the short-termism and, yeah. the, and things go down and, the, and they yeah. panic and sell it's, it. Rather than recognizing, as your point said, you look at the long-term plan, if you yeah. see a 12% growth rate, you've got to hang tight. And as Sir John would say, from another time and place, shares are on sale today yes. in terms yes. of the mystery well, stocks. It's, it's the only thing in U.S. history where when it goes on sale, we want less of it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's a cliche, but it is so, so true. David Gurren, Tom Keen, with Robert Dahl of Nuveen uh, Management. Bob, um, it's a company with 273,000 employees. They're mating with a company with 24,800 employees, about 8%. The company has a dividend yield of 5.37%. I'm listening. Except the dividend growth is 2.2% per year. So they got a big fat dividend with no dividend growth. Can you buy telephone? Stock looks cheap in lots of ways, but I think the kind of company just described, high yield, uh, slow or no dividend growth, yeah. is rear view mirror story. If you think rates are going to continue to go down, it'll be fine. And, and let's make clear here, folks, Mr. Dull is not doing buy, hold, sell on telephone. <laughs> We're not doing securities analysis. We're talking about a kind of stock. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me, and I look at the free cash flow, and it's sort of the anti-Amazon, here, is here. how I'd put it. In a slow growth world, as we said earlier, free cash flow is king. And if you don't have it, you struggle. That's why telephone looks so cheap, but doesn't go up. And David, the key here is not if you don't have it, they've got it. I mean, uh-huh. let's be honest, telephone's got $16 billion a year. They don't know what to do with it. There's just no growth. There's no first derivative. What does the, the telecom space look like to you going forward here? Of course, the big merger announced this week, the AT&T Time Excuse Warner. Excuse me. Yeah, can I answer yeah, that yeah, question? Please. Go ahead. Go ahead, The Tom. telephone space is the iPhone 7s there are in the mail. <laughs> I predict tracking three, it. Tom, it's out, tracking three it every minute of, of every five, day. Three out of five children's phones will break this weekend. <laughs> That's the telephone space. <laughs> Dropping them on the rink. Yeah. Well, yeah what's yeah. it look like to you? As you know, it's one of the most competitive spaces yeah. in, the, in the world, and therefore uh, it's a very difficult business. The stocks uh, are, are pretty cheap, having said that. And while I want to be overweight, the genre of company we just talked about mm-hmm. that has decent yields but no dividend growth to speak of, I'd rather own a telecom stock than utility stock. Uh, utes, to me, are very expensive uh, in lots of different ways with very little growth prospect. Uh, and telecom, uh, not, not nearly as expensive. We've seen uh, oil prices here below fifty dollars a barrel. Uh, again, there is there is speculation something might get hatched at this meeting in Vienna at the end of, of November. Talk about the interplay between energy and equities, and and how long that's going to continue here. Yeah, so don't hold your breath on yeah, that meeting. Right. I, I, you know, uh, they, they might come to an agreement, but then we have to take a bet who's going to cheat the next yes. morning, as it were. Um, look, oil is still low. 
I know in the short term it's gone from $27 to $50 a barrel. I get that. But relative to a long-term pattern, oil, I think, stays low for multiple years. Uh, call it 30 to 60, 40 to 60, somewhere in that zone. I can't come to 80 or 100 to cause me to want to buy the stocks. Oil has never made a V bottom. We had a massive sell-off, and we're still adjusting the fundamentals called supply and demand. And I think we'll take more, some more time. Taking a step back from that, I mean, we had a guest yesterday from ING talking about how in nine years the level of electric car adoption is going to be huge. He was talking about uh, a, a real move away from oil. Are you forecasting that out yet? I mean, do you, you're saying here we could have low oil prices for a couple of years, do we reach a point at which oil isn't going to go up anymore because the demand just simply isn't going to be there? Yeah, look, I think uh, as, as long as oil is selling at, call it $50 a barrel, there's a <laughs> lot of stuff that's non-competitive. Yeah. I keep getting these, give me that alternative energy, sure. give me a windmill, give me some solar. Yeah, unless the government's um, uh, uh, helping there, um, uh, you, you know, you just need sustained $150 oil. Uh, to make a lot of those things economic. Mm-hmm. I'm exaggerating, but not much to make the point. And the interplay to the stock market, back to your earlier question, oil coming down is the good news for the U.S. It was the rapidity of the decline that caused the problem because it moved into financial stress yeah. issues. Just one minute left. Uh, we noticed Carlisle this week pulling back from investment in hedge funds. We just had a long conversation with Julian Robertson about a time long ago and far away. Is the game over for hedge funds for the two and twenty business? I think two and twenty is is mostly finished. Yes, hedge funds won't go away. There's a place for them, but sort of like active versus passive, the hedge fund industry has not demonstrated the returns that justify lots of money going there. They're gonna have to do a better job. I mean, I mean, the idea of the hurdle rate, and again, it's within this great distortion. Do you invest every day, Mr. Dahl, assuming the great distortion will never go away? That's right. You can't. Look, you have to be aware of it, but you know over the long term, rationality, believe it or not, does okay. prevail. This is wonderful. Absolutely. Bob Dahl, thank yeah. you for generous time this morning. He My was route-free. <laughs> we did not have a route. It was a bond route. Yes. 1.85% in the 10-year, the two-year, 088 and it was. I mean, to be full, a full disclosure, folks, we had a two-standard deviation moving yield. That gets your attention, and you saw it, uh, David, worldwide. But there we are as we recalibrate to a dead meeting in November and a live meeting. Surveillance correction, I'll mention this a number of times. I've been talking about the first Tuesday of November. Thank you for pointing out I've been wrong, wrong, wrong. The election is the second Tuesday of November. This is Bloomberg. We bring in Gene Munster, senior research analyst at Piper Jaffray. We'll talk a bit about Apple in addition to talking Alphabet uh, and Amazon. But let's start with the the new computers and that touch screen, the the utility of it, Gene. Uh, how big a change is this to the to the Apple ecosystem? And we've heard so much here from Intel and others about the decline of the PC. Uh, Apple here banking on the fact that there is some life left in the the desktop and laptop marketplace. Well, they are. It's only about 10% of their overall business, but this is a meaningful step up in terms of the functionality of these Macs. And I was playing around with them yesterday, and it's just kind of a new paradigm in terms of how we use computers. And so they're definitely uh, still believe in this. They're taking the approach that a, a true touch screen isn't the way to go because your hands get tired if you have to actually touch the screen. So this way your hands can rest on the keyboard and you can have a lot of that functionality built into that bar that they're putting at the top. And so 
Um, it's expensive, and but it, it is definitely some exciting technology and in, 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 uh, portables. Gene, I remember the late Steve Jobs unveiling the iPad, saying that was going to herald the end of the laptop and the desktop. Uh, what has Apple learned here in these intervening years? Well, they learned that there's different things you do with different devices. And with computers, you do more long-format content creation. They've had a lot of tools around iPads and iPhones to make it easier to create content. But at the end of the day, people still use your traditional computer or your laptop for just that long content, more expansive uh, video editing, for example. And so I think that they learned is that different projects have different devices. Gene, help me with Amazon. And a question came up yesterday that I thought was really interesting, which is give us a scope and scale of how much of retail and separately how much of cloud does Amazon have? What's their headroom, if you will, in those two key groups? So if you look at overall e-commerce, they have right now about 20% of the value on e-commerce in the U.S., and it's about it's about ten percent of the value in e-commerce globally. So they've got headwind or room to to go to grow that. If you look at total commerce, the number is much smaller. It's about three percent. And so essentially, what they have is this shift still from traditional brick and mortar to online. That's a big opportunity, and they can still gain share. And just one just to put a fine point on that market share gain is they grew units in the September quarter at 28%. That compares to 28% last quarter and 25% a year ago. Now, help me with cloud. Uh, Obviously, that's where all the money is. That's the sex appeal, et cetera. How much headroom do they have in the cloud space? That one's a little bit harder to find, but right now it's about 10% of businesses have some form of their, their, their infrastructures on cloud, not all of it. And so when you think about the cloud theme, eventually that will be how businesses are going to be run, off the cloud. There are three players in the space. AWS, Amazon's offering is the largest. But I just think that that's a massive secular trend, probably even bigger than e-commerce. Yeah. But that is going to just fundamentally change how businesses operate. David, jump in here. I was stunned yesterday at the gloom on Amazon. I mean, yeah. I think it's people that don't even understand the, 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 the size of the pie chart that they're playing in. Yeah, we were talking about how Jeff Bezos could, uh, you know, what he has planned for the company here. It seems to me that that web services division could really buoy the company here as, as he tries this other stuff. Why aren't investors seeing it that way? Well, they're having flashbacks to what happened in 2012 and 2014 when they went in these heavy investment periods. And I think that, uh, you know, that that's the, the, the core reason why. As Tom said, they're missing the bigger point. The areas that they're spending in are areas that we know that works, fulfillment and content. And so I think that uh, I think that investors should just kind of keep their focus on, on that, that they know what to do mm. when they invest. Jim Munster, thank you so much. With Piper, uh, Jeffrey, David Gurr, Tom Keene, throws you with us on a Friday. Gene Munster with us. As we look at the land of technology, not that you do all of it, Gene, but most of it, and the fact is, X number of stocks have created 80 or 90% of the gain over the last couple of years. How do you respond to Piper Jeffrey clients that say, Gene, it's just all about like six or seven stocks? How do you respond to that? Well, there are other stocks that are getting uh, bought up that are part of this. So part of it is that, yes, the bigger companies have bigger budgets and have these you know, $100 billion plus uh, treasure chests of cash that they can, can use. 
But at the end of the day, it's for us to find good trends, and some of those start with smaller companies that become bigger companies. If you look at a good example, that would be LinkedIn. As, uh, that was a small company that, that ultimately ended up having a good outcome. And so uh, that's how we think about it. I wanted to ask you about uh, this TV app that Apple has revealed, and we can joke about the uh, marketing brainstorm session that must have gone into naming that app TV. <laughs> TV. But is this another half measure here? It seems like for years now we've been waiting for some sort of subscription service for, for Apple TV in earnest. Uh, how excited are you at the prospects here of, of a TV app uh, for Apple's suite of products? still doesn't get to what we need, which is what you described, is is more of a, a package where consumers can choose from a wide range of, of, of channels and kind of build their own. And, you know, there are some players like Sling that are putting some together, but a lot of that key content still isn't there, like live sports. And so I think that it is a half measure. I think that that's how this world is going to progress is uh, a lot of little steps. And so I think it's in that context it's important, but we're still probably a year or two away from the point where the average person really wants to cut their cable. How about in the context of the deal we saw announced this week, that AT&T Time Warner deal, a lot of speculation about how Apple was regarding that, if Apple might have been uh, interested in, in Time Warner. Uh, put these two events in context here, the, the advent of this new app and, and the announcement of that merger. I think it shows that what the TV app does and this Time Warner deal shows what Apple's strategy is, is they want to have a broader range of content and enable that. And so if they would have put a bid in for Time Warner, for example, that doesn't solve the problem that they want. That would give them a very wide but still not encompassing array of content, yeah. and that's really what they want to have. Let's switch to Google. I find – I'm sorry, Gene, I still can't say alphabet. Surveillance I, correction. Know, do something <laughs> – do something about that, Gene Munster. Google, give us an update. I mean, I understand it's been a modest moonshot, but it seems to get brushed aside in all of this. What is the state of Google now? Does the management feel like on the up and up? Yeah, I think they do, and they have a lot to be excited about and proud about is that they've kept their revenue growth going. It's a $74 billion company right now that they grew in the September quarter at a similar rate that they grew in the June quarter. And despite the fact that they had a difficult comp, is that a, a year ago they added an extra link. You may or may not have noticed this on your mobile Google searching. And so that helped them over the past year. And now they're, now they're coming up against that comp and they're doing well. So, yes, it does get kind of brushed under because they don't have uh, a lot of the drama that some of these other names have. Yeah. But it's a it's just a steady story, and they have uh, they're very uh, methodical about how they think about the future. And I share their vision of this concept that we're going to interact with machines in a different way, and they're they're leading that. And now, folks, it is time for Math Friday with Gene Munster of Piper Jeffrey, <laughs> Google slash Alphabet, to be cute because they fear no evil, announced a share repurchase. Of seven zero one nine three four zero nine seven six point eight three, Gene, help me here. The number of letters in the alphabet to the power of E. Really? So yeah, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> for, for, for geeks, that's apparently really funny. It's and, just uh, I, I'm so. just I, really. Yeah. <laughs> How Euler of them? That was a joke, folks. <laughs> help me here, Gene. Are these guys still too cute for their own good? Oh, they're pretty smart, so I'll give them some room to, yeah. to do uh, things like that. 
Well, you know, that, that begs a question here. We, we saw Google Access, that's part of this moonshot division of, of Google here, uh, announcing cuts of 9% of the workforce this week. The CEO of that division uh, is out. Uh, Tom asks about the cuteness of the company. We have Ruth Porat there, a CFO. Are we beginning to see the Ruth Porat uh, yep. Google? Alphabet, excuse yeah, me. I think you are, yeah. I think, in, as you said, the fiber side, they're, they're getting a little bit tighter on. But I, I think what's also important is that they're continuing to fund the bets that they feel good about, like auto and self-driving cars. And so I think that, uh, yes, Ruth Pratt's brought some discipline that they haven't had in the past, but I think that they're still very committed. If you look at their R&D budget, it's, it's, uh, about, it's more than what Apple is. It's about $12 billion a year. Apple's at about 10 and Facebook's at 5 And so even with these little bit of tightening that Ruth Pratt's doing, it's still a company that is aggressively investing. So why do investors seem to tolerate uh, that setup at Google, that binary setup of having the, the core product and the moonshot division, and yet they're skittish about it happening at Amazon? I think because it just has a much more dramatic impact on Amazon's overall results, and they can't carve it out like they can. Amazon's investing in, these, in their core business, and that shakes investors' confidence at times. Mm-hmm. Where Google, they can and they can separate it in their mind. They can think about them as they have a good, strong core business, but they're playing yeah. around on the, the other bets. One final question: What's your single best buy? I mean, it's a tough question for you because everything's overweight. What's your yeah, most I over think, overweighted overweight? <laughs> I think if you take a perspective of a year from now, it's Apple because expectations are low, and I think that phone that one seven is going to deliver. And then I think if you take an approach of five or ten years, we don't have ten-year targets, but the longer term is Amazon. And that's just the headroom they've got. Yes. Gene, thank you so much. Gene Munster, most generous of your time over the last uh, uh, few days. He is with Piper uh, Jaffrey. Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? They see their role is to serve, not sell. That's why Charles Schwab is committed to the success of over 7,000 independent financial advisors who passionately dedicate themselves to helping people achieve their financial goals. Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com. Sarah Senator with us now with uh, A.B. Bernstein. We usually talk about McDonald's and fast food, but I really wanted to get Ms. Senator back to just talk about the all-time train wreck. Sarah, you and I know, you know, we all studied CFA, Johnson & Johnson, Tylenol. From where you sit, did the, did the management of Chipotle mismanage this E. coli thing? Um, I think they had a harder, um, steeper uh, road to hoe than you know, some of their predecessors. So I want to start with that. You know, social media is so different now from yes. what existed, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, you know, when we look at other Completely fair, examples. yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I think we can all agree that maybe they were too quiet initially. Um, they didn't get out in front of this. You know, they've been accused of maybe being a little bit arrogant about it. Um, you know, but they were, they were sort of in uncharted territory. So it's hard to say exactly what they could have done if they could have done something better. Um, you know, maybe they should have done more about quality assurance, uh, communicating that to their customers. They're doing that now, and, and you know, maybe that, yeah. that may be the one thing that, that a little bit too late. What 
is the catalyst to reverse a set of lower lows and lower highs. Technically, the chart is the height of ugly. It's like teach a course. You have a fundamental outperform in the stock. Sarah Senator needs a catalyst. What is it? It's got to be an earnings beat. I mean, this whole year uh, has been a disappointment, one quarter after the next, and this most recent quarter was probably the biggest of them all. Um, you know, even when you adjust for some of the one times, it was it was really, um, you know, the P&L really just uh, – uh, fell apart a little bit um, in, an, in unexpected ways for investors. So they've got to uh, come through with the margin targets that they've laid out, with the same-store sales targets that they've laid out. Once that happens, um, you know, the people will, will, will start to be interested in the stock again. Sir, we'll talk about what's changed fundamentally in the restaurants themselves, but let's talk about the boardroom and management. Steve L still running the company, Bill Ackman and Pershing Square getting involved here. There was talk of that board being rejiggered. Has that happened? Has much happened in terms of getting new blood into the boardroom? Um, you know, n- not yet. Uh, it's it's been a little bit slow. I mean, we haven't let, let me put it this way: we haven't seen anything since you know since Pershing filed um, about their ownership. So so from that perspective. Uh, haven't. You know, I think Chipotle um, has in the last year or two put a couple of people, a new people on. Um, but in general, uh, it, this is a very, very long tenured board. And it's not totally clear uh, that they have all of the, um, you know, all that they all have experience that is uh, particularly relevant. You know, in fact, several of them are from, you know, most of their careers in healthcare. A few were from McDonald's, but, you know, were active with McDonald's, you know, 20 years ago. So, so in, in that sense, I think there's still very much an art argument for um, new, different, or at least additional people on the board. This company has tried very hard to get people to come back into the stores. They've offered rebates. They've offered all kinds of coupons. Are there signs that's working? Are there signs that that is getting people to come back and to come back again after that, or are these kind of one-off visits to the to the to the restaurants? I mean, on the last conference call, again, setting aside the you know sort of the particularly bad earnings number, um, there was a lot that was that was encouraging in the sense of yeah, their most frequent customers are coming back and they're coming back um, almost as frequently as they were before. And in particular, after they did the big loyalty push in the summer, um, the the trends in October seem to hold up. I mean, I mean, Sarah, and I love, and only Sarah Senator can do this, folks. Buried in her Bernstein report. I got to find, here's the language, non-guest-facing elements of business. I mean, you didn't write that. That's their language, right? (laughs) That's right. That's that's industry jargon. Non-guest-facing elements of business. Okay, I get it. The kitchen's a dump, and they're cleaning it up. Do you remember the day where Howard Schultz of Starbucks said he'd had enough? And he had to go in and completely retrain and remanage people to invigorate the franchise. Does does Chipotle need to do a Howard Schultz right now? Well, they had, you know, they did that day in February where they shut down stores for half a day, and they really did, um, you know, and they really talked about uh, food safety and and that and really instilling that culture. I think, you know, it is the case that they're moving they're moving people around uh, some of their best executives. To to reinforce the the need for you yeah. know um, for cleanliness for operations um, you know for execution all of these things so I don't know if they needed a Howard Schultz moment but they certainly recognize that they that they have some work to do. 
I mean, I mean, I look at the chart, it's just absolutely extraordinary, folks. And Sarah, tell me here how you handle and outperform when you're in your, oh, I'm on the wrong stock here. Hold on. It's, it's Friday, Sarah. I can barely <laughs> focus here. You know, there we are, 700 to 368. I mean, it's been ugly and you got an outperform. Tell me the quality where you can stick with this dog as it moves ever and ever lower. Mm. Now you're you're raking me over the coals here. No, but we love you. But but you know, I mean, this is a fascinating story. We all eat there. All our kids here. Take twenty dollars, go to Chipotle. And to David's point, Sarah, people are doing that less now, right? Uh, they're doing it less. Um, you know, again, if you look at the traffic numbers, they're it, they're they're doing it about thirteen percent less than they were. You know, that's not a huge loss considering what's happened. You know, the news. Um, they're they're coming back. Yeah, it's it's certainly been a difficult stock to like for the past year, and I think you know the. Um, uh, it's a reminder that that again um, with social media, the, these things take longer and longer. Um, but the brand is still very good. I mean, I, I challenge you to walk into a Chipotle in town Manhattan and not have to wait in line for fifteen or twenty true, minutes. Fair. Absolutely the, true, fair, absolutely true. David, that's a hundred percent true. Let me add to that. I was in a Chipotle a couple weeks ago. It was a total dump. It was like outrageously <laughs> filthy. But to Miss Senator's point, the line was out the door. Sarah, quick question here. It seems like the impulse would be to get the core product right in light of all of this that's happening, and instead we're seeing uh, an impulse here to get into desserts get into hamburgers. Does that make sense to you, expanding the, the, the offerings of Chipotle oh, as a company? Right. So, so I think the core product, they, they have gotten it right. It is, you know, they, they will say their, their uh, feedback is that they get fewer food complaints now than they did before. Um, they brought in some of the prep back in-house um, just because that's what people like, and it uh, allows a little more customization. I, I personally, I think the food quality has always been the hallmark of Chipotle, and it remains that way. Um, you know, speed of service has certainly slackened a little bit as they focus on different things. You know, the, that experience maybe could still uh, improve, but the, I think the food it's quite good. Um, the burgers is a separate concept. You know, um, whether it's a distraction or not, I think is a is a good question. But it's small and, mm. and right now doesn't take a lot of their time. Offering a dessert should not be that hard. Um, you know, I don't know what they they have in mind. Um, as long as it doesn't ruin yeah. the throughput. You know, it should be almost wholly incremental. There, I'm, I, I'm right. sure there are people who would like to be able to add something sweet to their Chipotle meal who haven't been able to do it. Does a margarita count as dessert? It certainly has enough calories. Okay, well, we wanted to be sure of that. Sarah Senator will continue with us. We'll go Chipotle-free in our next section and look at a lot of the other stories of what we do with our restaurants today. Um, Sit-down dinners. They own Olive Garden, Longhorn Steakhouse, Bahama Breeze, Seasons 52, The Capitol Grill, Eddie V's, and Yardhouse. When I say Darden's, I think of three eggs over medium hash brown. That's not what this story is, is it? No. Uh, I don't know why you would think of three eggs over medium hash brown. They don't serve breakfast, but um, that's definitely not what the story is. (laughs) What is the story now? Because I guess we're eating out more, but are we eating at those kind of restaurants? Take Olive Garden as one example. Um. We're not eating more at those restaurants. So the casual dining sector, which is what Darden is, you know, the the, the biggest player in um, across its 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 collective brand portfolio, has seen negative traffic, frankly, since uh, 2006. 
So there, there is just a secular trend right. away <clears throat> from these types of restaurants. And, 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 and I've never been in an Eddie V's, folks. I have no clue. But they got the jazz <laughs> bass guy with a bass violin, you know, bass fiddle kind of thing, stand-up bass. And they got the shrimp cocktail with the lobster tail stuck in the air and the oysters in the bottom. And they're pour, pouring, you know, David, one of those martinis, which is like a three-martini lunch in one glass. You've got the carafe on the you side know, they on got, ice. They got, yeah. I mean, that's the shtick, Sarah. <laughs> is it working anymore? Or are we not doing that? Uh, the high end, well, it's interesting. interesting fact about Eddie V's. About half of what they sell is actually steak. So I'm sure they do have a delicious seafood tower, but people go there for all kinds of things. Um, setting, setting that aside, um, you know, I think um, there's always a market for fine dining. Um, you know, a lot of it depends on what business uh, you know, travelers and, you know, what the business expense accounts look like. So um, in any given quarter, you know, the fine dining, um, you know, business can move up or down depending on how people are feeling. Um, in the most recent quarter, Eddie V's did not have a positive same-store sales number. Um, so that would suggest that there's there's certainly been a little bit of retrenchment uh, maybe on that on that spending. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in general, full-service restaurants, um, you know, have not been – a, a, a place of growth in this industry. It's been right. much more about traditional fast food and um, and fast casual. You had a starboard value going in trying to reform uh, Olive Garden. I wonder how illustrative that is to the folks running Chipotle right now in terms of what starboard value pushed for, what what Olive Garden was able to do. I know I know they tried to uh, make the the supply chain. Uh, make a little more sense here. The, the the trouble with Chipotle is that supply chain is so complicated, isn't it, that they've tried so hard to get so much locally grown stuff that they don't have much of a handle on it? Well, uh, you know, I well, I think the latter part of what you said is clear, that, that maybe they didn't have the handle on it, they needed to, um, and that's why they had these, these issues mm-hmm. with um, uh, su- supply chain food safety. Um, only about ten percent of Chipotle's sourcing is local, actually. So um, that isn't doesn't appear to be the real issue. Right. Um, it appears more just it was sort of growing pains. You know, they had this supply chain um, and things never really grew with the, at the pace that the business did and, you know, eventually came back to bite them. Um, but, you know, you, I think you ask a very germane question, which is what what have we seen um, turnarounds or activists push for in the past? You know, Darden found, um, you know, $160 million in cost savings uh, a year um, when they looked for it. And, you know, at the same time, their same-store sales actually got better under the, the current management team. So, you know, it, it is evidence yeah. that you can do both. In the last minute that we've got you, Sarah, and I want you to play Peter Elliott, our wonderful food yeah. critic, uh, here instead Good of luck. securities analyst. <laughs> um, I get sticker shock in a steak place. I'm looking at a famous steakhouse right now. is a skirt steak, which you can barely chew, and $65. Have they reached the limit of what we'll pay for a piece of beef? You know, you... (laughs) You uh, you walk in rarefied air. I think outside of the city, you don't have you know you have steakhouses that charge a lot less than that. But but it, yeah, certainly in this environment, I think the answer is yes. You know, beef prices are down forty percent. Yeah, there's been massive beef deflation. So I think at some point, even people who are going to these very high end restaurants are just cognizant of that and uh, and yeah. they just recognize that maybe there's a there's a disconnect between what yeah. they're paying the restaurant and what the grocery store prices are. Thank you. 
I feel better. Sarah, just because of you, I'm going to eat tofu all weekend. <laughs> Sarah, he Sarah, likes his air like he likes his steak. You. Generous right. with your time. Sarah Senator uh, A.B. Bernstein, uh, really just terrific on Chipotle. And again, we protect the copyright of all of our guests. I had one email. Can you send me out the Chipotle report? Absolutely no, not. Please no, please contact Bernstein. Uh, we do protect our good guests. Copyright, David. I can't spend sixty bucks on a piece of beef in a restaurant. That's a lot. I can't yeah, do it. It's like a birthday steak. It's I'm all chicken parm or <laughs> you know milanese or some other uneatable piece of chicken. More Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg. David Gurra here with Tom Keen on Bloomberg Surveillance, recapping the big data release this morning from the Commerce Department. The headline number for GDP in the last quarter grew at 2.9 percent. That's the annualized rate. But as we've been discussing, the underlying details, perhaps not as good as that. Soybean-related jump in exports boosted that figure. Personal consumption was soft, as we said. A big week for earnings this week, big week for earnings in technology especially. I want to bring in Robert Peck. He's an Internet equity analyst at SunTrust Robinson Humphrey. Uh, joining us now here on Bloomberg Surveillance. And, and Robert, let me ask you first about Twitter. We sort of began the week talking about Twitter. Uh, we've been watching that company on the heels of reports that it, it was considering a sale. The suitors walked away. Talk about this moment in time now. The suitors have left. There had been a sort of divide among the management ranks of the company. Some wanted to, to sell or avail themselves of, of, of potentially the opportunity to sell. Uh, others wanted to keep the, the, the company independent. Uh, that side has won out. Jack Dorsey has won out. What, does that sort of, what latitude does that give him going forward here? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. So a, a couple things there. One is the quarter they reported was still challenged, but just better than feared. And the guidance they gave you know, sort of emphasizes that challenge going forward. So it's still only a low single-digit grower. Um, and so that begs the question that if the, the core isn't reaccelerating based on what you've done so far, how can you get that to reaccelerate? And they have a lot of bets this quarter around live NFL uh, video that hopefully does the trick for them. But if it doesn't, it then begs the question, as you enter 2017 and you're not reaccelerating your core, you know, do you have to pursue M&A again? And maybe it's at a lower price than where you are today. Give us your sense of the bigness of those bets. They're big, I think, in that they're trying to do something different, but they're not spending, at least relatively speaking, a ton of money on, say, broadcasting NFL games. Yeah, exactly right. They're only paying about $10 million, which is small in the grand scheme of things. And the tough part there is for the really premium content, they'd be going up against deeper pockets. So someone like a Facebook or a YouTube slash Google could afford to pay more. And so that, that's what makes it difficult. I think they're going more after the long tail type of content. And NFL happens to be more of an anomaly. And that's why you'll see their deals with the NCAA is more things like gymnastics and, and not things like football. Um, and they'll probably go after some cricket leagues and smaller soccer leagues as well. When you look back at the week that was, again, Twitter, Alphabet, Amazon, uh, the, the Apple announcement yesterday and Apple's earnings as well, what's the, what's the broader takeaway you have from, from, uh, from this earnings season when you look at technology, the big technology companies? Yeah, you know, you particularly for the, for the FANG, although Facebook hasn't reported yet, but for, for Amazon, Google, Netflix, um, I mean, you've seen these larger companies, you know, continue to grow, which is just amazing, some of them accelerating. So Google actually accelerated its growth off its $70 billion base, which is just really amazing to see. Um, Netflix, you saw them put up a much better quarter than people thought. And even Amazon, while people are disappointed on some of the spending, uh, the top-line growth there is north of 30%. So even at their size, 
size, they're still growing and accelerating their growth rates, which is just interesting to see the power and scale of these large platforms. We love having you on because you get brave and courageous every once in a while. It's a Robert Peck kind of thing. (laughs) How do you respond to SunTrust clients, institutional or retail, that raise their hand and say, I want to own all the Robert Peck stocks, but I need to wait for a pullback? How do you respond to that? Yeah, it, it's tough because if you look at some of these stocks that we've been recommending, um, a lot of them have grinded higher, right? So, for instance, Google's near all-time highs. Facebook's near all-time highs. Uh, Amazon's near all-time highs, even though it has a little bit of a pullback this morning. Um, you know, a lot of investors tend to look for buy, buy, the, buy the large platforms that are working um, and take advantage of pullbacks when you can. Uh, but it's difficult because usually when you get a pullback in a stock, there's usually a reason or a concern, which creates a little bit of trip. What do you do with a hold on Amazon? What would make you join Camp Bezos? Yeah. Well, Amazon, first of all, phenomenal company, as I said, tremendous grower. And the, the spending that's hurting the margins, you know, this near ter- in the near term here, you are growth investments. You know, it's distribution, fulfillment centers, India, et cetera. The real question we have there, and the reason why we've been a hold, is the multiple on the stock, the price you're paying. So you're paying a little north of 40 times free cash flow for a grower around 30% or so. So it's a pretty rich premium there. And we typically look for a better risk-reward and valuation parameter. As you mentioned, we're waiting on Facebook, but looking at the ad space in particular, Alphabet reporting yesterday, the total number of ads clicked on Google's websites jumped 42%. We'll see what Facebook has to say about uh, ads there, but you've got Verizon trying to get in on this game. There are two big players. Verizon wants to be the, the third. How discouraging are the numbers we saw from Alphabet yesterday? Yeah, I'll tell you, about 80% or so of incremental digital dollars are going towards Google and Facebook, and that's from advertisers. So it's just interesting to see those scaled platforms. It's a couple of things that's driving that. One is the reach, being able to reach, you know, in Facebook's case, you know, 1.7 million, uh, billion users a month, right? But it's also the targeted ability, being able to dissect that audience, be able to hit the right person you want. So you see this interesting combination. I think that's why you've seen Verizon go after putting some of these properties together to get that scale, so adding a yacht who together with an AOL to hopefully get you that breadth and then add the targeting layer on top of that to get you that ROI as an advertiser. I want to come back and talk about this, but Robert Peck, very quickly here, you look at what they're doing when you say 80% of marginal dollars is sustainable. It's not a one-off. It's not like a one or two-year thing. You look at that as a sustainable trend? Yeah, it's such a large number. It probably comes down a little bit over time. But Fair. right now, when you when you think about the scale and think about what's the next platform that has that type of reach, there really isn't one. And that's why you're trying to put. That's why Verizon is trying to put together things like Yahoo and AOL, and we'll see if others to be able to provide that scale. But that in the U.S. Uh, yeah. and even across Europe is unique. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm out on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gura is at David Gura. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.
Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com.